Hi, my name is Darren Joseph, HEG.tax. So I am in New York City. It is September the 12th, 2023. Today I want to talk about the idea of domicile. For American citizens living outside of the US, an often overlooked tax planning opportunity involves leveraging domicile. Why? Why do, I, why do I say that? Because if you are U.S. domiciled, you get a unified lifetime credit of over $12 million on your worldwide assets. And if you're not, it's only $60,000 on your U.S. CITES assets only. What am I talking about? I'm talking about transfer taxes, something that's so often overlooked when it comes to tax planning for international, those who live that international lifestyle. Let me put it a different way. If you have most of your assets outside of the U.S. and you're living internationally, you may wish not to be U.S. domiciled to shield your foreign assets from transfer taxes. If you have most of your assets within the U.S. and you're living internationally, you may, you may wish to maintain your U.S. domicile. If you are a U.S. taxpayer outside of the U.S., how would you define your domicile? Let's let's, let's talk about that. Domicile it has different connotations. It has different it has different meanings in different jurisdictions. So, for example, in an, in English common law, so in the U.K., uh, domicile has a different meaning from let's say from France, and even in the U.K., there are probably like four different types of domicile. So. It, it can get quite confusing. And in the U.S., there's domicile at the state level, but there's also domicile at the federal level. So you can have state tax domicile, domiciliary issues, as well as federal. So, but just to be very specific, we can talk about the other types of domicile another time, but I really want to talk about domicile when it comes to transfer taxes. So U.S. transfer taxes at the federal level. What I mean by transfer taxes, I mean gift and estate taxes. It comes up all the time for us when we are doing estate tax returns. All, our clients are all international. We, we deal with people who live internationally, more than one jurisdiction. They earn money in different jurisdictions and they have cross-border issues. So anyway, so we are talking about uh, a U.S. taxpayer who resides outside of the U.S. How would you determine where they're domiciled for estate tax purposes and for gift tax purposes. So I guess what I need to make clear is that unfortunately the tax code is largely silent. Federal tax code is largely silent. So you don't really have a definition of domicile for for transfer tax purposes. They talk about tax residents, but tax residents in the uh, in, in terms of, of, of domicile. And, and so we, we need to refer really to case law. Case law gives us an indication as to what they are, as what the courts uh, look for in, in determining domicile for, for transfer tax purposes. So I'll give a quick summary, given the, the, the rich body of case law of the past uh, 60 years or so. This is what they look for. So one thing they look for is the amount of time spent in the U.S. and in other countries, and the frequency of travel between the U.S. and other jurisdictions, and even between places outside of the U.S. A period of extended physical presence in the U.S. alone will not suffice to establish U.S. domicile.
Another factor they look at is the size, cost, and nature of houses and other dwellings, and whether the places were owned or rented by the by, by the U.S. taxpayer. So there's a case in the estate of, of Fokker. This is 1948. The, the, in this case, the dissident maintained a large home in New York, which is where I'm right now, and a smaller home in Switzerland. So the tax court found that the dissident was a U.S. domiciliary. So, and in so doing, the court compared the size of the houses and their localities and stressed that the location of the Swiss home, which is in Semritz, constituted a resort, a pleasure-oriented community with international appeal. So that, that, that's helpful to look at the size of the home and where it is. So the area of locality in which the, the, the dwelling places are, are located is super important. Another thing is the location of expensive and cherished personal possessions. So, for example, there's Farmers, Farmers Loan and Trust Company. This is a 1932 case. So that, that was seen to be important in determining domiciliary. Another thing that the courts look at is the area and location of the dissident's family and close friends. This is a case of uh, the estate of Nien Huiz, I think that's how you, sorry, I'm, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. The estate of Nien Huiz, this is a 1952 case. Another one is the places where the dissident has maintained and participated in civic leagues, churches, clubs, so they're looking for communal ties. Where, where's your heart? Where's, where's, where's your heart, essentially? Uh, but aside from your heart, they look at where's your business interest? So, and together with that, they look at the location of the bulk of your assets and the location of your professional advisors. There's a case of Paquette, uh, that the, the estate of Paquette, where this was a determining factor. They also look at the where did the dissident file tax returns up until passing, which, which was also uh, a determining factor in the estate of Paquette. They also look at the declaration of residence or intent made in visa applications or reentry permits, uh, the will, the deeds of gift, trust instruments, letters, oral statements made by the dissident. For example, in the case of Bank of New York and Trust Co., this is a 1930 case. A dissident, a U.S. citizen, spent the last five years of her life traveling in France, Italy, and other countries in Europe. But the court found that she was still a U.S. resident in U.S. domicile because she did not have the, according to the court, she didn't demonstrate the intention to abandon her U.S. residency while in Europe. So they look at her purpose, their pleasure, and her health. So the dissident's declaration and actions indicated that her home is in the U.S. So, for example, when she's applying for passport renewals, she stated that she was abroad only temporarily. And in two trust instruments and a will executed by her, she described herself as a resident of Washington, D.C. Okay. Uh, another thing that is looked at is whether the dissident used international credit cards while in the U.S. rather than U.S. issue credit cards. U.S. issue credit cards, credit cards, and local bank accounts. Also, whether the, the taxpayer obtained and used a U.S. driver's license as opposed to an international one, a foreign one. Another thing that is looked at is whether in visiting the U.S., did you rent a car or did you, do you own a car in the U.S.? Another thing looked at is where 
does the taxpayer spend a, a vacation or holidays with family members? They look at whether the taxpayer's family remain in the U.S. or moved to a foreign jurisdiction with the taxpayer. They also look at whether the taxpayer was involved in political activities such as voting, uh, public service, military service abroad versus the U.S. And they look at reasons or motivations for the presence of the taxpayer in other countries. Is it for health? Is it for pleasure? Is it for business reason? So, you know, so basically, again, summarizing they, what they look for, they look for intent plus deliberate action. If both your intent and all your actions demonstrate that you have indeed abandoned the U.S., then yes, you can look at the you, you can look at the foreign jurisdiction as your new place of domicile, a court for U.S. transfer tax purposes. Otherwise, you look at the U.S. as as your your place of domicile for transfer tax purposes. And this is super important because right now at the time of doing this recording, the the unified exemption or the unified credit is pretty high. It's relatively high, so it's, it's over it's over twelve million dollars. And that is if it is that you are domiciled in the U.S. versus 60,000 if you're not. So depending on where the bulk of your assets are and, and what, you try to, what are you trying to accomplish, you probably need to be very thoughtful in how you implement your decision to leave the U.S. My name is Darren Joseph from HCJ.tax. So if you're a six, seven, or eight-figure investor, entrepreneur, or business owner who needs a tailor-made solution from a qualified team of professionals, we can help you achieve the international lifestyle, the freedom, and even the tax savings you're looking for. Visit us at htj.tax and live that international life.